on the block on demand. Without Jerry McNamara, we wouldn't have won 10 f- games this year. Okay? Not 10. Two seconds and one. It's 10 wins in a row for the Crunch. It's the biggest upset in the Carrier Dome in more than 30 years as the Orange hold off the defending national champion. They beat Clemson. The Bills make me wanna shout. McCoy in the backfield takes the handoff, runs up the middle, breaks a tackle. He's inside the 10, cuts to the left, into the end zone. Buffalo wins. Back to full. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Somebody in Vegas told them they were going to win by 20. They'll look at the positive side of things once in a while instead of the negative all the time. This is On the Block. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, ESPN Radio, Utica, Rome, Utica, Utica. Or perhaps, as you should be on another picture-perfect, gorgeous spring day, almost summer day in central New York, you should be listening on the ESPN app on the way to the golf course, for crying out loud, on a day like today, as I will be doing tomorrow in the annual Alonzo Open. Looking forward to that. Looking forward to talking some sports with you. By the way, if you want to listen on the app, it's very easy. You just download the ESPN app. You find the little listen tab there. You find either ESPN Syracuse or ESPN Utica Rome, whichever you prefer. Give a little tap, and then you can take us with you wherever you go. 437-7644 is the phone number. Brent Axe Media. Brent Axe Media on Twitter, where the show never stops. And apparently, two-month-old topics never stop. Just got a random tweet from a guy today saying, how come you give John Desco a free pass? Dude, relax. Enjoy yourself. The weather's nice. Take a breath. Whether you like it or not, he's the head coach. He's going to be the head coach. Go, like, enjoy life a little bit, okay? But the show does never stop there at Brent Axe Media Plus. Uh, the text line, great way to get in touch anytime you want to fire off a hot take or two at us. That's hot. 315-288-0644 is how you get in touch with the show today. We have but one guest today, but uh, when you have a guest like this, he should stand alone. Syracuse quarterback Rex Culpepper had a chance to catch up with Rex earlier today. We talked about his fight against cancer, which he has won. He rung that victory bell. He is cancer-free. Fortunately for Rex, testicular cancer, and anybody that gets it, is a very curable form of cancer. It's got a 96% cure rate. The plan is very specific. You follow it, and it's gone. Obviously, other cancers out there, unfortunately, are not that simple to deal with. But it's still cancer. It's still scary. It's still something that makes you really pause and reflect on life and puts things into perspective. And I thought Rex really did that for us today. So we talked about his process in dealing with cancer, how he found out, that great spring game moment, and where he goes from here. Life is just starting to get back to normal. He actually had his first kind of full workout today. Rex talked to the local media. He talked one-on-one with me. We will play that back 
later in the program. I think you'll really enjoy that conversation. What a great kid. He is. We are all rooting for him, and thankfully, uh, a great turnout for that story. We'll do some hot takes as usual. Father's Day weekend coming up. Fathers and sports just linked together forever. How your father influenced you as a fan, uh, an athlete that played sports. Maybe you're coaching or just involved in sports in some way. Just a fan. You know, we all are rooting. I, I would guarantee you that, you know, pick a team that you root for, and there is a strong chance that the reason you root for one or maybe all of those teams is because your dad rooted for that team. Or maybe you pick the other team because your dad was a Yankee fan, you're a Red Sox fan, right? Something like that. So we'll get into that later in the program. World Cup going on. Uh, Dustin Johnson is technically in the lead at the U.S. Open, but the real winner at the U.S. Open is Shinnecock because that course is kicking everybody's butt. Johnson is four under, and that's it. That's the list. And it seems to be a discussion that comes up a lot around the U.S. Open because last year was the opposite. Aaron Hills did not turn out to be a very challenging course, but you know, typically the U.S. Open is the hardest challenge in golf. It should be the hardest challenge in golf. I love to see these golfers as frustrated as you and I, you know, on the seventh hole at Old Oak, trying to figure out what club to use, or you know, spraying it all over the course, or going into the you know the deep weeds. Or these are the best of the best, and to see the same looks on their face that your playing partner has on his sometimes, I get great amusement out of that. Or are you somebody that would like to see the USGA kind of downshift just enough to make it interesting? I say the harder the better, the more challenging the better. I think Shinnecock is the perfect course to separate the men from the boys here. And Dustin Johnson right now eating it up, and he's the only one who's under par. So we'll talk some U.S. Open here today. I, I want to start with this, though. And... I'll kind of title this, The Kids Are All Right. So last night, I had the great fortune to be the MC for our all-CNY sports awards that we did at Syracuse.com. Thanks to everybody that came out for that, by the way. It was a terrific event. Went very quickly, which uh, we were happy about. We wanted to get you in and out of there. No no reason to be in the Landmark Theater for three hours on a, th- on a Thursday night. So it's about an hour and a half. And we gave away awards for, you know, most of the sports here in central New York. We unfortunately couldn't cover all the high school sports. It was our first time doing something like this, so we kind of wanted to start small and build from there. But, you know, the ceremony was great. The kids and the parents and uh, the Buffalo Bills drum line, the West Genesee cheerleaders were there. And I think everybody had a great time, and uh, we really enjoyed putting it on. And, and congratulations to all the winners and the nominees. And I got to say, being a part of this kind of renewed something that I've been a little doubtful about this week. Now, I'd be the first to tell you, I do not get in the weeds. I do not cover high school sports as intently as some of my colleagues at Syracuse.com do, like Nolan Widener and Pat Spadafore and uh, Victor Barbosa. And I'm going to leave some names out of the conversation. You know, the great Charlie Miller, who was leading the way there, and Jason Murray and, you know, a lot of people that go out and cover high school sports for us are photographers and, you know, we do high school games here on ESPN Radio Syracuse and ESPN Radio Utica Rome. Mike Bristol, of course, on Saturdays does his inside high school sports show. And there are many people around here. Phil Blackwell, who's on that show, and the names are just rolling off my head. You know, Nico Tamurian and Stephen Fani and our TV guys who are in the weeds grabbing those cameras and going to high school games. They are much more knowledgeable about this than I. 
But it is something that I've discussed. It's something I've looked into. And it really comes in the wake of what happened after West Genesee lost to Ward Melville in the state championship game. And I haven't really gotten into that this week. We've just kind of gone in other directions. I spoke at their banquet Tuesday. Uh, I'd be certainly naive not to sense some tension in the air about what's going on there at that school, and that's something that they've got to clear up, and it's just kind of an unfortunate circumstance of what high school sports is today. And here you have Mike Masser, who is a legend, no matter what I say right now. His record speaks for itself. He's one of the best lacrosse coaches at any level in the history of the sport. He's one of the best high school coaches in any sport. But to see him make the comments that he did were disappointing because I felt like they were painting with too broad a brush. Is Mike Masser right or are the kids right? Is Mike Masser right or is, you know, the AD or the um, superintendent or the parent? And, like, everybody's a little right and a little wrong, and the answer always lies somewhere in the middle. Now, that's just one example, right? I don't want to hone in too much on that because I, I could give you some drama about high school sports at every district. That just happens to be kind of the, the latest big story and how surprising it was to hear Mike Masser be that blunt about that, about some things that you would usually keep in-house, but, you know, he's retired at this point. Why not let it out? But the central message that came out of that, at least the way I read it, was he couldn't get through to athletes today. And there seems to be kind of this growing opinion that the kids are the problem. And while there are absolutely noted exceptions to this, I do not want to paint with a broad brush myself. My wife is a high school teacher. I have heard... Uh, as many stories as you could possibly think of, some of which are certainly discouraging, but many are encouraging as well. And last night's event just reaffirmed that to me. You know, when you've got people coming up to the stage who are not just winning awards for athletic achievement, but are going to places like the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, okay, you do not get into MIT by being a privileged millennial who has everything handed to them, right? And some of the other perceptions, some of the other uh, stereotypes that are put out there about kids today. I think we, and by painting with this broad brush, we the adults are the bigger problem. I think our expectations are too high. I think there are too many parents that expect too much of their kids that are just scrapping and clawing for whatever scholarship dollars are out there, whatever fame, fortune, or gain they think they'll get from their kids succeeding in sports. I think the disconnect from the adults is the bigger issue. And again, I don't want to say some kids aren't part of the problem because they are. But hearing some of these stories, seeing what they have accomplished, watching them come up on the stage last night, getting to talk to them personally, now, these were the best of the best. These were the nominees. You know, not everybody that plays a sport fits this category. But I really have walked away from this whole experience saying that, you know what, it's not the kids. It's on us as adults to adjust to them, to listen to them, to open our hearts, our minds, our ears, and figure out a way to connect with them. I mean, it's the old adage, right? Every generation looks down at the generation below us. And they say, oh, you don't know, kid. You don't know how hard it is. I had to walk uphill to school 
five miles, barefoot, and five feet of snow both ways. And I had to kill a grizzly bear with my notebook on the way. It's like every generation looks down on the next one and points at them and says, hey, you didn't have it as hard as I did, kid. Well, yeah, things change. Life evolves. Technology gets better. It used to be that I couldn't make a phone call, send a text message, get on the Internet, take photos and videos and do a whole lot of other things on one device. I needed about seven or eight different devices to do such a thing, right? So we have kids that are living in this generation that things that we had to work for come easier to them. Is that their fault? No, it is not. They are simply using the tools that are available to them today. Kids today also live with school shootings as a real possibility, as almost, dare I say, a normal expectation. The pressure of social media, images to live up to, depression, suicide, classmates that are going through things that certainly maybe previous generations went through but just were kind of told to suck it up and get through, right? It just bothers me how we... And by the way, pot calling the kettle black in a way, because I have certainly looked down at the younger generation sometimes and kind of shook my head and said, come on, man, toughen up. Or, you know, my perceptions have gotten in the way. But I'm telling you, this whole experience and looking at things both behind the scenes and on the air has, I think, changed me. It really has. It has changed me to certainly be cognizant of the fact that there are kids that you just can't get through. Some kids are just the way they are, and no matter how hard you try, they're just going to be the way they are, and that's unfortunate. But there are more out there that want to be helped, that want to succeed, that want to do well, that want to be coached, coachable, want to figure out their way in this world and need guidance to do it. You just might have to do it differently than you did before. And that's not uh, pointing fingers at anybody. I don't want this to come across as, you know, Mike Massera can't connect with a generation or this coach can't connect with a generation or whatever the case may be. And, you know, boy, I, I could do a whole show on this, trust me, because I've had conversations with friends of mine that coach and are officials and are involved in high school sports, and it is a jungle out there. It, it, it is nasty. But I have walked away from that experience saying it is more the adults than the kids that are the problem. So I'm not going to fix it myself on this show. I can merely shine a light on it and say, well, how can we take steps as the adults in the room to reverse course on this? Because just pointing at them and saying they're the problem or they're privileged or they're whatever label you want to put on them. You know what they are? They're kids. They're kids. And, you know, they're kids that, you know, being a 16-year-old in the, the world of 2018 is a lot different than it was even, you know, a decade ago, 20 years ago. The maturity level, what you know, what you learn, the world experience you have, the access you have to things that you didn't before. It, it is what it is, is it's different. It's not better or worse in some cases. It is different and it is how we adjust to it. So maybe I'm just in the glow of a great event last night and I saw what the best of the best of our local community is capable of. And a couple of weeks ago we did for in, you know, shameless plug for Syracuse.com, but I'm glad we do these kind of events. A couple of weeks ago we did the theater awards 
I did not attend that, but I talked to people that did. And to hear them describe the the local talent that's there in that world, okay, music, theater, sports. You know, I see my daughter do dance and, you know, arts, and I don't want to leave anything out here. And it, it broke my heart. I read a story on Syracuse.com today that the Syracuse Children's Chorus, if they don't get another 15 or 20 members, that they might have to shut down. It's, I mean, things evolve, things change. I hope that continues, but it's the kids. It's not the kids. The kids are all right. It's us. We're the problem. I think we're the problem. I think we, the adults, if you really want to bear it down, are the bigger problem. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to fix it? And can we reverse course here? Because it seems it gets worse year by year. Yet it gets better, like an event like last night showed me. How the kids persevere, deal with these things, and find ways to succeed despite all the walls that keep popping up that they have to go over, around, or through in the world today. 437-7644, if you want to jump on board. Brent Dax Media is where we are on Twitter. You can also use the on-the-block text line to get in touch. Now, again, I'm not uh, completely ignorant to there's two ways to this street, and maybe kids are part of the problem in some ways. But if I had to pick a side here, I'm, I'm going to take the adult side that needs to be fixed, that needs to be adjusted here. Let's see what you think. At 437-7644, John in Syracuse wants to chime in on this before we take a break. John, go ahead. How are you doing? I was going to call about this at the beginning of the week, but I decided to keep my mouth shut about this. But as far as Coach Messer goes, I think he's one of the greatest coaches that's ever coached in any sport. And I I have to admit, I'm similar of age to him, but I have more respect for him than virtually any coach I've ever seen. And what he did the first 30 years at West Tennessee was unbelievable. What he put those kids through, the, the structure, the curfews, everything else, and they, they did unbelievable. But the last 10 years or so, I wish he would have got out 10 years ago because I personally think like 50% of the kids out there today have no respect for authority whatsoever. And it really bothers me. And uh, See, and John, I've just got to say, again, I, I can't speak for all of them, and I don't want to defend all of them, but that's a big number. They just, they are, I don't think it's a, it's a lack of respect for authority. I think it's just you've got to reach them differently than before. Certainly the Mike Maser way doesn't work across the board anymore. It does with some kids. Because, I mean, despite all the the conflict and tension they had there, they still went to the state title game. Something worked there, right, despite all the tension that was clearly there that that bubbled up in that situation. So to just say, ah, kids today don't get it, they don't respect authority, okay, you're not entirely wrong there. Because trust me, like I said, my wife's a teacher. I've I've heard a a lot of stories there. But to me, it's like, well, what what are we doing wrong here that makes them not respect authority? How are we not reaching them? What's, what's, what's the solution there? I don't have it, unfortunately, but I don't want to just point at them and say, ah, they don't get it. Well, I think the parents are just as much to blame as the kids are today. I just don't think they, they instill that in them anymore, a lot of them, and watching all the crap on TV and everything else. There's just no respect anymore for authority. I'm sorry. Well, you know, 
You're not entirely wrong there, John. You're not, unfortunately. But I, I just, I'm trying to find a different way to handle this from now on. And I appreciate the call. I do. It's, I'm not hiding from the issues that are out there. I just don't want to get lazy and say, well, yeah, they're the problem. They just don't get it. Because he's not wrong about technology. Think of the video games they play. Think of the access to things that they have. It does affect them. I mentioned social media, and boy, pick your Instagram, Snapchat, whatever the case may be, how you know girls are so much more self-conscious about image because of what's being shared on social media. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot to handle. My daughter's 11, and I am just freaking out about what she's going to have to deal with coming up here and is already kind of starting to deal with as a middle schooler, right? So, again, I'm not going to solve this problem today, but just kind of seeing both sides of it this week, I just kind of wanted to bring it up because I, I think I think for the most part the kids are all right. I really do. And a lot of you are probably shaking your head saying, Andy, you don't get it, you don't deal with them daily, and that's fine because I, I don't as much as other people, but I've certainly talked to enough people, I certainly know enough people, including my wife, that does, and I believe me, I'm aware of what's out there, so... I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out what's the best way to handle it because despite all this that seems to get in the way, I watched a bunch of kids walk across the stage last night that accomplished great things on and off the respective fields and courts and, you know, sports that they played. So they're still finding a way to do it despite all these things we want to say that they can't, right? So let's break on that. No, we can talk more about this, certainly. I want to get into the U.S. Open and some other things happening. It's a Friday. You're on the block, ESPN Radio, Syracuse quarterback Rex Culpepper coming up next hour. Don't miss that. It was a great chat. Speaking of great young men facing adversity and doing great things in this world, we're back after this. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Welcome back. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Oh, man. Well, we got to do this show outside. I'm going to get out of my cage. I mean, I got the window opening, but it's just picture perfect outside. What I want you to do is just take a mental snapshot right now. Just go click. Because when it's, uh, you know, uh, like next week when it starts snowing again and you're out there trudging through four feet of snow, just remember these days. Just remember that we have a true representation of the four seasons in central New York as much as we think it's there's only two, you know, summer and basketball season, or if you prefer construction and basketball season. It is just picture perfect out there. It's only getting warmer throughout the weekend. I'm not a big fan of 90 degrees and humidity. Some people are, but it's coming one way or the other. Summer's here, baby. It's a beautiful thing. So what are we doing in here? we got to get outside and do this show when it's so nice. Chief engineer will love that. Let's give him more work. Can we do a show outdoors somewhere? For no other reason than it's nice out. So I hope you're enjoying the great weather. Speaking of hot stuff, hit me with that fancy open. Let's do it. We've got a hot one for you. Oh, you're hot. Why, thank you. So are you. And I'm not afraid to cry. So hot. So hot. Man, it's hot. How hot is it? It's so hot, I poured McDonald's coffee in my lap to cool off. (laughs) It's time for Hot Takes on the Block. Now, there's no better break glass in case of emergency summer sports topic than sports movies, right? But I'm always a fan of 
when things uh, ring true with people anniversary-wise. And 30 years ago today, Bull Durham came out. Now, I got a few takes about Bull Durham. First of all, it is in the argument as the best sports movie ever. Not the best baseball movie ever, the best sports movie ever. Second of all, you can make an argument it's not really a sports movie. Huh? <laughs> Wait, didn't you just say it's one of the best sports movies ever? I did. Bull Durham is so good and was so well done by Ron Shelton that it is both concurrently, at the same time, parallel, however you want to put it, a great love story and a great baseball story. How Annie ends up with Crash, which we all kind of knew was going to happen, but the path in which they got there, the detail of the love story, the I believe speech, how he's painting her toenails, you know, just the, the intimacy of that love story. But there is no baseball movie that has better baseball detail than Bull Durham, and nothing has come out since. Now, I will argue with you that Major League is a better baseball movie than Bull Durham. Despite the candlestick scene and the detail, Ron Shelton played minor league baseball, knows the sport, put in those details, how Crash talks about going to the show, and on the show they carry their bags for you, and, you know, that's all well and good. But the fact that Bull Durham is two stories in one, makes it a better movie to me than, say, Major League or some other sports movies. But if you just want to classify, just a, I think Major League is the best pure baseball movie. They tried to weave in the love story there, and it kind of worked. I'm a big Rene Russo fan, don't get me wrong. But that worked better in Tin Cup, which also has Costner, which just shows you how amazing Costner is in these things. And they tried it with For Love of the Game. They What they tried with For Love of the Game was what Bull Durham was. And it didn't work. Kelly Preston just couldn't pull off what Susan Sarandon could. Not, not by, by a mile. And then they tried it again in draft day. They could have cut every love scene out of draft day. I don't know why they wasted their time with that. And as I've stated, draft day is surprisingly rewatchable. And then they do the Jennifer Garner scenes, and you're just like, I... And I like Jennifer Garner, don't get me wrong. But what it just goes to show you is how hard this is to pull off. And Ron Shelton did it. Go read, and I, I'm kind of biased in a way because I love reading about this stuff when anniversaries come up, and I read a really good article the other day about Bull Durham. It was on The Ringer, and it was kind of a back story of how they made the movie, and I love those stories, you know. All these stories are almost the same in that, you know, the studio didn't want to make it, and they took a chance on this, and, you know, they, they reworked the script and had to, you know, Bull Durham was originally supposed to be a movie about something that turned into like a 30-second scene in the movie. And I don't want to spoil that if you want to read the article and check it out. But 30 years ago today, Bull Durham came out, and while most people will call it a sports movie, I would argue with you it is almost better as a love story than a sports movie. That's hot. Than a baseball movie, despite the just intricate de detail of the baseball stuff. All right, what else we got going in the hot take world today? Um... <laughs> See, what I love when World Cup time comes around is all these wacky stories you hear about the World Cup. Uh, here's a couple of them for you. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo has reached a deal with Spanish tax authorities in a tax evasion case. He's going to serve a two-year suspended plea deal and pay over $20 million in fines 
He's unlikely to serve any actual jail time because Spanish law states a sentence of under two years for a first offense can be served basically on probation. So Ronaldo is accused of evading just under 15 million euro in taxes, a charge, by the way, he denies. Now, will that story or the fact he scored three goals today against Spain in the Portugal-Spain game, which in the World Cup world is a major rivalry. I mean, the, the rivalry between those two countries in a number of things is evident, but no more than a World Cup soccer. And that's the thing about the World Cup. Love, hate soccer. Love, hate the World Cup. You have to respect how over-the-moon people are about this, how passionate they are about this. I plan to do a couple videos on Syracuse.com about this and kind of exploring the local community because I want to go to some World Cup watch parties. I want to just try and, and, and tap into the passion that people have for this. Which goes to something like this. Um, sorry, Nigerian soccer fans, but you have been banned from bringing your lucky chicken to the World Cup match. And I'm not talking about like a you know, a stuffed animal. I'm not talking about a rubber chicken. I'm talking about actual live chickens. Nigerian fans will not be allowed to take their live chickens into Kalingrad Stadium. Uh, the government has put a ban on the, quote, Super Eagles fans who wanted to take their lucky chickens with them to watch the match against Croatia. A Kalingrad politician said they will be permitted to take the chickens in other designated areas of the city. Lucky chickens. This, That's hot. That reminds, speaking of Major League, oh, man, he wants to sacrifice a live chicken. Oh, come on, Jake, we can't have people puking in the locker room. He brings them the Kentucky Fried Chicken. Hats for bats. Keep bats warm. Kawhi Leonard wants out. ESPN and Yahoo reporting that Kawhi Leonard has asked for a trade. Woj getting in saying that uh, Kawhi Leonard wants to go to the Lakers. Jeannie Buss, Lakers owner, tweeted last night, quote, do not ever underestimate nothing else to say. Okay. Kawhi Leonard wants to go to the Lakers. The question is, will San Antonio appease that request? You would think the answer to that is no. The Boston Celtics are also a team that would make a lot of sense for Kawhi Leonard. And if Kawhi Leonard goes to the Boston Celtics, you can now make the heavy case that they're the favorite to win the NBA title. Pairing him with Gordon Hayward and Kyrie Irving and that team, maybe not over Golden State, but closer to Golden State than they are now, right? Is Greg Popovich going to trade Kawhi Leonard to the Lakers, a place he wants to go? That's a great question because Kawhi Leonard informed the media before he informed the team of this. Kawhi Leonard disappeared off the face of the earth didn't talk to anybody, shut down. If you've read about Kawhi Leonard and the people around him and his process, he's I'll say he's a fascinating guy, and I'll kind of leave it at that. But what this is going to produce, maybe not the intensity of last summer, but the NBA offseason in the last couple of years has become almost more fascinating than the season itself. And we are coming off a dud of an NBA Finals. The inevitability of Golden State... Winning that finals, watching LeBron James and how great that was, but I mean, we all knew Golden State was going to win that thing in four or five. They swept, and the series we all anticipated was a dud. So we're looking for fresh blood. We're looking for new storylines. We're looking for, you know, certainly the Celtics to step up, or can Houston knock them off next year? Or, you know, look, 
What we learned last summer was expect the unexpected. What we learned last summer was things that can come out of the woodwork. Kyrie Irving demands a trade, and it just kept going. The NBA had its greatest offseason ever last year, so that's going to be hard to match. But what we've learned, that even beyond the draft, and we're kind of bored with the draft in Syracuse this year because the first time in like a decade, there's not a player in the conversation that's going to be drafted this year because Tyus Battle chose to come back, which is great news, but kind of makes the next couple weeks boring when we really be knee-deep in NBA draft talk. Good problem to have there if you're a Syracuse fan, right? But the offseason is going to be fascinating, and it starts there. And The LeBron thing is obviously a question because if Greg Popovich will not grant that request and send Kawhi Leonard to Los Angeles, the question may be, hey, Kawhi, how much do you like Cleveland? That wouldn't happen. LeBron's not going to stay in Cleveland, right? What's the lesson? What did I just say? Expect the unexpected. Staying in Cleveland with Kawhi Leonard? That would be the unexpected. Not what I would put my money on either, but LeBron, Kawhi, LeBron, Paul, George, L.A. A scenario we're not seeing here? Whatever it is, the NBA's got this figured out. What makes you a true behemoth of a sport is when your offseason is almost as interesting as your in-season. You know who owns that right now? The National Football League. You know who's making a major run at him there? The NBA. On that note, we'll break. Rex Culpepper's coming up next hour. Don't miss that. want to talk about Father's Day and sports a little bit. We'll update you on the U.S. Open. Uh, Pretty much it's this. Dustin Johnson's the only dude under par. Shinnecock Hills is kicking people's butt. And I love every minute of it. Stay right there. We're back after this. Thank you. Bye-bye.